Good morning. Thank you for joining us and welcome to our weekly e-learning session. My name is Wayne Henderson, a member of Tree Lighting's training and education team and host of our e-learning series. For those watching live, happy Friday. Quickly about the session, once we get started, we'll have roughly 15 minutes of content. Our presenter will be available for Q&A at the end of the presentation. And although the participants are muted, we do encourage you all to use the chat or Q&A box to submit questions. Please feel free to type those in during the presentation. And again, we'll review those at the end of the session. In today's presentation, we'll learn more about the International Dark Sky Association. And to walk us through that, I'd like to welcome John Rollers. Good morning, John. Good morning. Hey, John, real quick before we get started, can you talk about your role in the business? Certainly. Hi, my name is Jonathan Vollers. I'm the technical manager here at Cree Lighting, uh, mainly focused on lighting qualification, including Energy Star, DLC, and International Dark Sky Association, as well as running our photometry lab. Perfect. All right, well, let's get started. All right. So today we're going to talk about understanding the International Dark Sky, or IDA. And what we're going to do is step into Excuse me. Uh, you know, so what is the International Dark Sky Association? It's a nonprofit organization uh, that was started in 1988 with the goal of preserving and protecting the nighttime environment and our heritage of dark skies through quality outdoor lighting. As you can see over on the right hand picture there, that's a that's a shot of the Milky Way, uh, which I don't know about you, but growing up, I didn't see that too often. Uh, and I even lived in a rural small town, uh, but certainly with a lot of sky glow uh, that prevented me seeing that. Uh, this was started by uh, two astronomers and has grown significantly since 1988. Um, you know, they've now branched out across the world, um, have over a thousand different lighting fixtures that have been certified, uh, have 133 different international dark sky places, which are areas that you can go see the night sky as well as make efforts to keep and preserve it. Um, they have 64 chapters across 18 different countries. You can kind of see below, obviously, uh, North America, Europe, uh, Asia, Australia, India, uh, South America, Chile, um, and so forth. Uh, and then there's some examples of pictures around uh, of those night sky environments, Sedona. Uh, uh, there's uh, this one up on the left is in England. Uh, and you can kind of see down in the left-hand corner here, the before and after effects of, you know, when you have a glary fixture creating that light pollution and then what happens when that fixture is off and, and allows you to see the night sky. So it's a significant um, uh, impact. So kind of what does IDA do? Uh, the areas they focus on is, is they celebrate the night. So increase awareness uh, and the benefits of, of night for all living things and how light pollution is an environmental threat that individuals can help solve or humans can help solve. We are the contributors for this environmental impact. You know, we have electric light. Uh, we put it, we install it, we created it. So those are things that we can do something about if we control it and um, maybe regulate it a little bit where uh, to limit its impact to the environment. And obviously it has effect on humans, but it has effect on wildlife um, and obviously the night sky. 
they also have dark sky protection is one of their focuses where they're really uh, looking to certify different areas as well as lighting um, fixtures or luminaires. Um, so that's one area of focus. Uh, lighting where we live. That's the direct engagement with cities and communities trying to reduce light pollution. And that's through lighting policy and practice. So they provide some tools for, for those communities and, and how to advocate for it, as well as implement it in a policy standpoint. And then they have sky shed restoration, uh, you know, implementing coordinated, intentional, uh, international, scalable actions to slow the halt and reverse increasing rate of light production. So think about it this way, you know, we have uh, the United States is ex uh, very electrified. Um, and so you have uh, street lights in a lot of areas. So reducing or changing over those lights to better, um, better products that help reduce the amount of light pollution generated, but also creating an awareness as the rest of the world or, or you know, as third world countries start to electrify more and more, um, you know, really driving the awareness that, hey, let's implement it right away from the start. So the two areas that kind of Cree lighting focuses on uh, that kind of impact our business are related to, you know, lighting where we live, which is, is, you know, lighting policy in communities and cities that require IDA or similar type of requirements regarding uplight or uh, sky glow, things of that nature that are installed or part of the policy that we have to appreciate when we're, you know, bidding into those areas. And then obviously, you know, getting our products certified through their program here. Uh, and that's what I do for Cree lighting. So kind of how does outdoor lighting cause light pollution? Like, you know, why is it such a big deal? Um, so you can see here an example on the left uh, with a number of different uh, photons being traced, if you will, some rays being traced where, you know, what happens to those photons and, and, and how do they affect uh, the environment? So number one here is, you know, it's directed up into the sky. It could travel completely out of the atmosphere um, and or maybe, you know, under number two, that same type of ray might hit a satellite and be picked up or an astronaut taking a picture of the United States, you, you know, sees all that light from the different cities and the roads uh, that we have um, installed in, in our environment. So those things like that. And then, you know, number three here, those rays could also have a chance uh, to hit particles in the atmosphere, you know, whether that's uh, ice crystals, uh, moisture of some kind, uh, dust particles, anything of that nature, and be reflected back down. Uh, so that is what you can see on the right here. This is contributing to that sky glow. So you're seeing reflected light and through the, you know, going up into the atmosphere and then reflecting towards the, the camera here in this instance. And then, you know, occasionally or, or you know, light actually being emitted downwards and, and reflecting off surfaces will bounce back up and, and, and into the atmosphere. And then number five is kind of showcasing something important too is that high angle light where you have you know, kind of horizontal or just above horizontal light being spread out. And that has a significant chance of being reflected back down, you know, causing sky glow or in this instance, showing it going into an astronomer's 
uh, instrument and causing causing an issue for for them. So these are all ways that that outdoor lighting can kind of contribute to sky glow and and light pollution in the environment. So now let's say, you know, what can we do about it? What are some ways that you know we know understand how light causes light pollution or outdoor lighting causes light pollution? And you know, the IES and the IDA have teamed up. Uh, and this was only released in April of, of 2020. So this is quite new uh, if you haven't seen it. And come up with these five principles of responsible outdoor lighting. So now, you know, you have the IDA trying to protect dark skies, and then you have the IES guiding us on how we're going to do it uh, as lighting practitioners. So one, useful. It, we should have a clear purpose for light. We shouldn't just light to light the evening sky or our, you know, light all the different areas around our building or uh, in our, uh, you know, our land that we might own or something along those lines. You know, really having a purpose, is it useful? Why do we have that light? Um, some of the things they talk about here are using reflective paints or self-luminous uh, markers and signs for curbs and steps and things of that nature, which allow for when light is present, maybe from your car headlights, you get that uh, indicator for safety, but it's not self-illuminating. It's not, you know, it's not generating light into the atmosphere when no one's around. Uh, so being useful is really important just at the core. And then really one of the great things about solid state lighting is this second feature, which is targeted. So light should be directed only where it's needed. So I have a security door. I want to light that space. I have a pathway to it. I want that space lit. Um, but now with solid state lighting, you can actually take that luminaire and really control the light with, with close optics, doing um, very good things, allowing very little spill. Uh, into areas that are not needed, where previous technologies, you know, typically we're generating from a metal halide lamp or a low pressure sodium, high pressure sodium, whatever it would, what might have been, was creating an omnidirectional light source, and then it had to be controlled down into the areas that you wanted it. Uh, now you have a much more direct path um, and a much more controllable method with solid state lighting. So that should be really, really part of our focus when we're selling to this is is really understanding what's our application and how can we put the light there best um, using the rps uh, rp8 is is recently been updated and has a lot of guidance there on and and driving to that ies uh, recommended light levels things of that nature and, and areas and, and and ratios so that kind of leads us into the next one low light levels light should be no brighter than necessary so using the lowest light level required, again, at the RP level, the recommended practice by the IES, uh, you be mindful of your surface conditions. You know, do you have high reflectivity or, or you know, maybe very bright concrete uh, or asphalt, which you understand isn't going to be as, as reflective? So those type of things, understanding that and really driving to the lowest light levels. One of the other interesting things is the RPs recently, RP8, uh, relaxed its ratio, so it's now 1 to 20, so that allows a lower light level uh, requirement as well as a little bit relaxed ratio, so overall your area should be less lit. Um, and then one of the great things with solid state lighting is it can be controlled so much better than some of the traditional, uh, tr traditional technologies. 
Um, so turning them off on using timers, motion detectors, uh, dimming more effectively. Um, so all those things are in play now that can help reduce the impact to the space and, and the environment because you're controlling the light when you need it. You know, maybe your retail space is open till 10 o'clock at night and then an hour after that, it dims down to 50%. It's on a motion detector, pops up. It actually provides better safety and security because then you see the area that is the motion detection has happened. All those things are really, really helpful and can ultimately reduce the amount of light is being produced in uh, for a building or space. And then one of the other things that they've agreed on, or the last one here is, is color, is really driving to a warmer color temperature. Um, you know, really the goal there is to drive down the amount of short wavelength or blue violet uh, wavelength area that the light is producing, the luminaire is producing. And the reason why that is, is that the shorter wavelengths and why our sky is blue during the day is uh, those shorter wavelengths more easily reflect, reflect and, and, and cause sky glow. So, you know, the longer wavelengths, the reds, uh, typically don't do as much uh, or contribute as much to that sky glow. So that's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're not saying, you know, there's a limit here, but just try and drive it to a lowest level that makes sense for your space, for your area, for your application. Now, then this gets into Cree lighting. So how does Cree lighting fit into this? So what do we do to kind of contribute? Uh, you know, we uh, create luminaires um, that meet the two criteria that you need to get IDA dark sky approved. We have uh, bug ratings uh, where the U equals zero. So we're not creating that horizontal or up light. So we're not contributing as, as heavily with that horizontal or slightly above horizontal where you get that scatter effect um, or, you know, we're not obviously having any light really directed up into the night sky itself, uh, which could also create contribute to sky glow. And the other thing do is, is we have driven down our CCT ranges to offer um, 3000 Kelvin and, and in some instances, 2700 Kelvin now, as well as uh, 2200 Kelvin coming soon to a to a theater near you. Um, is so see here are a couple examples of these fixture families that are listed uh rsw cpy 250 xspw uh some sea light product traveo some of our roadway products our osqr area product so all these have a u equals zero and have 3000 kelvin available so if you happen to have an ordinance or uh, an application which is requiring IDA, dark sky approval, keep that in your back pocket that you understand. We need to make sure that the, the fixture is listed here. We are using a unit that has an uplight of zero and it we are selecting a CCT of 3000K or less to satisfy that ordinance or requirement. That's all I have today. So I hope it was helpful and uh, Dwayne, we can get into some questions. All right, great. Um, I think I do have a question. Which uh, area light families and wall packs come in 3000K? So I know you, you kind of hinted about 2200. Do you want to tackle that one real quick? Uh, so all of these families that I have shown here are our products that are currently listed on the IDA. So they have at least 3000 Kelvin 
um, available. I believe the RSW is the only one that has 2700K currently available. I believe it will have 2200K soon. I'm not sure the launch date of that, um, but that's that's coming yeah, as an option. Yeah, anything in the streetlight category, um, shouldn't say too broadly, the RUL wouldn't, but the, the XSP, the RSW, and Treveo would have 2700K options. Um, it, you won't find that as much in the area light space, but yep. I would say if you have the right opportunity and, and volume, you know that could be looked at as a special. So again, we, we'd encourage you to reach out to your, your sales contact and investigate that. Um, but we've seen more of it in the roadway space where you have a lot of fixtures and, and certainly in residential areas where there might be more concern um, about high, higher CCTs and, and some of the things that, that John highlighted. Yeah, and, and I've seen it in, uh, certainly in there's some California uh, communities that have ordinances uh, where they want 3000K or less, especially in the residential areas. Um, and so those, I've seen that implemented quite a bit. And then uh, obviously your coastal areas uh, where you might get into in your Floridas where you, you know, not necessarily right on the beach where you might require a turtle light, but like as you move away from those beaches and into more uh, typical areas, they want to still have that lower CCT. So yeah, that's it's definitely been a, a drive over the last number of years. Um, this question says, do we have full? I, I think it says, do we have full spectrum light? Do you want to talk about the spectrum of, of these solutions? Uh, so typically, I don't have an example here, but you know. All of these, all of our LEDs here are producing a relatively full spectrum. So, you know, you, you may have a blue pump LED, so you have a blue peak, uh, but you have phosphor converting. So you have way, you know, all the way to that red, you know, short, or excuse me, longer wavelengths. So, you know, full spectrum is, is kind of a tough statement. Um, but uh, our, you know, all of these lights are producing a, a large, uh, range of colors uh, to to then obviously represent the the space you know any product being reflected in it. Yeah, there's a, a question about I don't know if you know much about NSA and NDA uh, requirements um, in terms of 2700K being suffice and eliminating shorter bandwidth. So I think it has to do with with maybe military and what some of their special requirements might be. Have you have you had any conversations or been pulled into those? Uh, at all? Um, not really, but I mean, you know, there are other areas that, um, you know, obviously, like we talked about turtle lights where they're limiting the amount of blue light, you know, maybe right on a beach. Uh, actually, ob observatories have um, a lot of requirements which had driven them to still be using maybe even low pressure sodium uh, as their option at current, you know, maybe in the last couple of years. Obviously, I think you're getting into options now with LEDs that that would eliminate that requirement, uh, you know, they'd be able to be satisfied with solid state lighting. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily specific, specifically to the government uh, regulations, um, but um, certainly uh, in more commercial uh, community based requirements are are there are some areas that drive that. Yeah, we have a question too about are we seeing more cooler uh, lighting temperature requests? From from customers, and they're they're kind of curious about what's the most popular color temperature we have. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, our our most popular color temperature still is four thousand Kelvin, and it's really 
that well, is we're talking about outdoor here right yes correct outdoor spaces yes obviously um though to be honest even indoor spaces commercial wise is still probably the most popular um so you know actually the interesting things is is leds now are are really so focused on 4000 kelvin that that's almost at typically 4000 5000 and 5700k are all the same efficacy now because they've really focused on targeting for 4000 kelvin being the optimal uh, but yeah that is that is still kind of the bread and butter um, and the interesting thing, and, and one of the things that I think I'd like to see in the future is IDA maybe moving to the amount of blue light content, which would, depending on your LED and your technology, still might be 4000 Kelvin, but is, has lower blue light content than some standard that is created versus just a straight 3000 Kelvin CCT, because that doesn't necessarily um, eliminate all the blue light, you know, compared to like, you know, some of the older technologies, a halogen technology is going to have a, a fair amount of blue light in it. So, you know, blue wavelength, I should say. And so, um, you know, understanding really more about the blue light content would allow for higher CCTs to still actually be IDA approved, I think. But, you know, that's that's down the road and hopefully that's something that uh, we can get some science behind to to give them a better better metric than just straight CCT. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a clarification on that one earlier question about the I think it was the NSA and and it, it really relates kind of more to Flagstaff and Tucson metro areas, for example, requiring a a narrow spectrum. And you know, 2700K. You talk about 2200K. You really need to probably look at the the spectrum of the source, or even if that's within the specification, understanding what the ask is, right? Yeah, and I think those or okay, those ordinances are based on um, it's easier for some of the astronomy or uh, uh, tools to filter out narrow spectrums. So if you have a full spectrum, which I would advocate any outdoor lighting for general outdoor lighting and not near specific areas like a like a like an observatory or 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 a beach for turtle environment type of thing, um, that that's where maybe narrow spectrum would be more helpful because they can then, they understand what that spectrum is. They can use filters to help eliminate that con contribution and that clears up their sky, if you will. Um, where a, a, a broader spectrum, maybe not, I don't wanna use the term full, but a broader spectrum light, like most of uh, our products here, um, would would be something that that would be further away from those devices. Does that, Does that make sense? Yep. There's also yeah. a question about uh, the CRI on the 2200K solution that we'll be bringing to the marketplace. You want to comment on that? Um, I believe it's actually uh, 70 CRI, um, you know, typical of an outdoor light. Um, you know, just because uh, light is warmer does not necessarily, the color renderish, renditioning, renditioning uh, doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, doesn't automatically make it better per se. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, uh, I think it's seven seventy CRI, um, I'm not hundred percent sure. Yeah. I believe that to be the, the, the case as well. And if you look at, you know, 2200 high pressure sodium, that's typically a. Uh, the yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> replicate the color appearance of the source, but certainly yeah. uh, elevate the, the, the color rendering experience. Right. So that, you know, so that, so that 2200 is still a broad spectrum 
you know, phosphor converted, you know, broad spectrum LED light uh, source uh, where high pressure sodium is a very uh, smaller wavelength produce, you know, very, very narrow wavelength band produce. So your color rendering is, is, is based on, you know, it's, if you check multiple reference color points and you only have a broad, or, you know, you have a broad spectrum versus a narrow spectrum, you, you know, that narrow spectrum, as you said, is like 20. You know, you're you're not refer your your color reference is is pretty atrocious. Uh, where broad spectrum, which you know we're trying to produce, is creating a much better lighting environment to see those colors that are present. Yeah, we had a presentation earlier on on turtle lighting and amber lighting was also kind of included in that, but that's another important distinction, right? So amber light doesn't necessarily equate to turtle lighting either. There's 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 a spectrum requirement. Um, for Florida, Florida, Florida uh, Wildlife Commission to kind of qualify. So it, it, you do have to dig into the details to make certain that you're, you're delivering what the customer's expecting, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's important to understand here is that, you know, these type of lighting ordinances are, you need to go to those specific ordinances, see what they're requiring. IDA might be part of it. You know, maybe that's only a portion of it. Maybe there's some extra information there that we have to satisfy, that we have to go, you know, be specific and, and dig a little bit. Uh, and we can certainly help do that. That's the goal is that, you know, come and, and ask those questions of our teams at Cree Lighting and we can help provide that data. And, and I'm happy to help in those regards. Well, the question is, is it, is it difficult to provide safety levels, uh, a safety environment with, with warmer color temperatures? Is there any evidence of compromising safety with warm solutions? No, I don't think so at all. I think what you're really doing is, uh, you know, again, the warm solution, our warm solutions here, whether you're talking a 3000, 2700 Kelvin, or even, you know, the future coming 2200 Kelvin is a broad spectrum light. It's it's producing all your color spectrum where you're going, you know, if, a, if uh, something is green or red, you'll be able to see it. Um, you know, so from a safety and security standpoint, it's really more about light levels and control of where those light levels go. Obviously, you want them focused down. You want them on the surfaces that matter, you know, maybe the wall around a door, security door, the pathway leading to and from it. Um, those are those safety and security environment things are really uh, enhanced by that broader spectrum, as well as uh, our control that a solid state lighting product provides or can provide certainly Cree lighting units provide okay hey do you have, do you have time to maybe quickly talk about the, the process of getting you know the, the list of products you have up here looks like kind of a list if you just look at the, the family category so it's a little mm -hmm. bit different than than maybe getting somebody qualified for the dlc do you want to talk about how, how they might vary a little bit yeah so you know the idea is not trying to be a clearinghouse for every model number and and have it listed that you specifically go look line item by line item the goal is is for it to be a direction that you know this family of products has a u equals zero products available and 3000k available 3000 kelvin or less i should say available in it so you still have to be responsible for buying the right fixture to meet the IDA requirements for an ordinance. But um, the way that I would go about listing these products is I get the IES files together, I get the spec sheets together, you know, which documents the 
the CCT that's available, as well as the IES prove the IES files, which show the distribution of light, showcase to them that we hey we have that U of zero in all these different optics. Um, for instance, if we look at the CPY two fifty, the flat lens is approved, but the drop lens actually does have uplight. So therefore, that's really not an appropriate choice choice for an IDA application. So. Um, you know, those are things that need to be considered when when selecting out of the family that's listed. So, again, this is more of a guidance um, that, you know, these are these fixtures have IDA approved within the family. You still have to be a little responsible on how you select out of that family. Perfect. All right. Well, if you want to go to the last slide, I'll close up shop um, for the, the week. Uh, I want to thank. John for his presentation and his time. I also want to thank the audience again for joining us and all the great questions you guys submitted. Looking uh, a couple weeks out, uh, next week we'll be looking at lighting for outdoor pedestrian spaces. And then the following week we'll be looking at uh, some of the environmental uh, things that the tree lighting does to be a, a good steward for the environment. So with that, uh, if you have missed any content that's been uh, previously presented, feel free to check us out on our YouTube channel. And if you haven't already subscribed, please do so. With that, I want to thank everybody again for your time and everybody have a great weekend.